Welcome back to School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined as always by Calvin. Uh, and today we uh, get a blast from the past, from the original, the start of the School of Science Radio. We bring back a, uh, a former RBMer, a, a guy who was on the podcast, wrote a lot for RBM for a while. Um, Adam Braun. Adam, it's been a while. How are you doing? Pretty good. I'm excited to run it back. I mean, I'd be more excited if it wasn't for the whole Chris Cavanaugh thing, but I'm still excited. I'm still excited. Well, I mean, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been fair if we brought you on for a win and something positive. It would have to be something negative. <laughs> what else could you <laughs> but, but failure? Uh, Calvin, how, how are you doing today, man? How's, how's everything going? I'm still livid, okay? I'm Frank Lampard right now. I'm still screaming at Chris Cavanaugh. This this, this is bullshit, all right? I'm going to say that out right loud. This is some bullshit right now. Am I still allowed to curse? Because if not, yeah, yeah, yeah. We just got to put the the explicit explicit tag on it. Okay, good, good, Um, good, good. But yeah, no, it was, uh, I mean, just still baffled by the decision. We'll get into it a little later, but. in the first part of this podcast, but let's start off at the very beginning. Let's talk about the Man City match and start off even before things started. We do have to mention, obviously, um, yesterday, uh, with everything going on in the world, with Ukraine and Russia, um, a lot of clubs around the world have been showing support for Ukraine. Everton, similarly, uh, you know, the fans putting up a banner, Everton reimbursing the fans for that banner that said, we stand with Ukraine with a picture of Mike Alenko in his Ukrainian uh, kit. And then, of course, the pregame beforehand, you know, before the pregame or before the uh, introduction of the teams and whatnot, uh, Zinchenko, Michael Anko sharing a, a moment at midfield together, which was, uh, you know, an emotional moment. And then, of course, the Man City players wearing T-shirts, the Everton players with uh, the Ukrainian flag draped around their, each of them having it draped around their uh, shoulders, in support of Michael Anko and, and Ukraine. Um, so, you know, kind of following suit there. Uh, I mean, we don't have to get too much into this, but Calvin, I guess we'll, you know, start with you on this. Your thoughts kind of on everything that happened pregame yesterday uh, in, in regards to this. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think all the right notes were hit there, right? Um, uh, again, uh, Everton's picture is a little murky. It, it, it's not as clear as, say, Roman Abramovich's ownership of Chelsea and how, I, I, again, let's not talk too much about Chelsea. They've got their own issues to deal with there. But for Everton, obviously, for those who don't know, um, you know, USM Holdings is a big, big sponsor of the club. I think a lot of the money that comes to the club comes in through uh, Farad Mashiri's business partner, which is uh, Alicia Rusmanov, who owns USM. Um, there was some issue, actually Everton did clarify during the week that some of this, uh, uh, the money embargo thing that's happening with the whole Russia attack on Ukraine does not affect Everton because USM Holdings is a, I mean, I guess, the Everton part of things is not related to that side of it. Still, uh, it was a good touch for Everton to come out and outright show support for Ukraine. And and obviously, I think Frank Lampard has mentioned a few times that uh, you know Mikolenko has been offered any sort of support he needs. Uh, Lampard asked Mikolenko if he wanted to be part of yesterday's game, and 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 credit to the fullback, he said, "Yep, yep, he wanted to be in the squad." Um, again, he didn't get to play, but 
um, I, I think all the right things are being said and done uh, by the club, definitely by the fan base. And uh, so it was a good touch. Adam, how about you? Your thoughts? Yeah, I don't, I don't have a whole lot more to, to add on that. Um, certainly not in the business of getting too involved in the geopolitical landscape. Um, you know, uh, it's certainly a interesting coincidence that we had this matchup of backup Ukrainian left backs um, after, you know, after obviously what what took place last week. Um, you know, and I think certainly for for us in the States, watching it, uh, the broadcast, you know, halfway or two thirds of the way through the, the Everton City game is when the Abramovich statement from Chelsea broke and they were talking about it. And I think it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, what that, what Abramovich's statement actually means in actuality, uh, you know, uh, yeah. something, <laughs> what was it, stewardship to a charitable something, something. It's, uh, so yeah. but, but from the Everton perspective, you know, I don't think that there's a whole lot more that, that could be done. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that, that the, those actions were, were taken and that we were able to kind of have a moment to put football in its kind of proper place in the world order of things, you know, well, well beneath what's, what's going on in Europe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, like you said, not we're not going to get too much into it. Just need to mention it because it, it did happen, and it's an important thing that did happen pre-match. And and like you said, Adam, just a, a, a weird coincidence that you know we get this match up in a prime time match. Uh, you know, on Saturday of these two Ukrainian yeah. backup left, you know, backup left backs. Um, you know, and and you know, again. Proud of what Everton did. They did the right thing in, in standing, as, as a lot of other clubs have done too. Um, and like you said, we'll see what happens with the Roman Abramovich handing the stewardship over to charitable foundations or whatever that means. We'll, we'll figure that out soon. But let's get, into the, let's get into the match. Let's talk about the details, talk about the football, um, and get back into more of what, what we know. <laughs> um, Everton line up in a 4-3-3. The first time we've seen the 4-3-3 under Lampard, I believe. Um, yeah. Obviously because of Decore coming back. Um, he goes with Decore, Allen, Donny van de Beek in the middle. Um, same back fours he's been, um, you know, jogging out there in previous matches of Coleman, Holgate, Keane, Kenny. Um, and then up top, Awobi, Richarlison, and Gordon. Uh, no Dominic Calvert-Lewin in this one. Dom, uh, Damari Gray did return to the bench. Uh, those are the two big ones. Before we get into anything about the lineup specifically, are you guys, and Adam, we'll start with you, are you guys worried about Dominic Calvert-Lewin's consi uh, consistent recurring injuries that have showed up this season? Is that more of a factor of, you know, maybe the team rushing him back? What's, what's your thought, thoughts on, on Calvert-Lewin being out once again here after a couple weeks coming back? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you're naive if you're not at least a little bit concerned um, about that. I think the the positive piece is that, you know, over the last couple of seasons prior to this, he really had been a workhorse, been a guy who was just an absolute minutes eater um, out on the pitch pretty much week in, week out for, for 90 minutes. Um I would like to think that there isn't an element of the team rushing him back. I think, you know, you always want to say that, but you also have to look at the table and be realistic about, you know, this is a team that needs points right now. So do I think it's out of the question that, that maybe there's a little bit of rushing back? 
No, you know, I think it's possible. But at the end of the day, it, it still reads to me more as just kind of a series of unfortunate events than anything that the club is necessarily doing wrong or anything that I'm super concerned about Calvert-Lewin on an individual basis just because of his history at the club up to this point in regards to, to injuries or, or lack thereof. Uh, Calvin, how about you? Thoughts on this, uh, you know, development? Yeah, it's, it's, it's disappointing, right? Because I think uh, Dom's already said that he's re-injured his original issue like about three, maybe four times just this season, which which is why he's been in and out of the of the squad, and um and and then now another, you know, supposedly minor knock, but uh, it it I am concerned not on an overall bigger picture, just because he's been pretty durable, like Adam said, you know, over the years. Um, but I, I gotta say, this does reflect pretty badly on, on, on the club's sort of infrastructure around medical and, um, you know, I, I think, uh, Rafa seemed to make this a point of emphasis, uh, when he was here, right. And ended up firing the, the staff that was there, brought in his team from when he was at Newcastle who have now left with him. So I, I don't even know who's running the show at the club right now, as far as the whole physios department and all of that. Um, clearly, this is not a new issue, right? I, I think this whole um, growth of soft tissue injuries has been has been happening across the game. Um, I, I think it's it's been it's been attributed to the number of games I think a lot of these players are playing, and there's never really a break. The international break is never a break not for top-class players, right? They, they go off with their national teams. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I am concerned overall as a big picture that this club has not got the kind of level of medical support that, uh, you know, I think uh, some of the other top sides do. Um, and, and that might be something that needs to get addressed. Uh, uh, and, you know, in fact, and I think we'll talk about it a little today, right? The director of football, Kevin Pellow, yeah. I think this is going to be right in his ballpark. He's going to have to find a medical staff or some something there that's going to make the difference. Because I think every team in the league or across the sport suffers from injuries, but it just feels like I think Everton has that much more of recurring type issues that, you know, again, some of it might be from rushing players back. Some of it might just be that we're doing something wrong. I, again, no one's, no one's doing... I, I hope someone's looking into this and on a more scientific level. Uh, we certainly haven't, but yeah. Yeah, no. yeah and, and I think that, that you've alluded to, you know, the, the correct related point, which is that this team has been just absolutely battered by injuries really from the off this season. Uh, it's amazing that yeah. Charlison is not among the guys who has missed a ton of right. time given that, you know, he basically was out playing at the, at the Olympics up until basically the start of the season. Um, but right. Alan, Corey, Yeri Mina, um, now Damari Gray, I did Andros Townsend, I think, missed time. You know, almost every significant player yeah. at the club, bar, uh, bar Pickford, has missed time through injury this season. And Calvin is absolutely right about the, um, the volume of games um, that's being played by anybody who's at a, you know, playing at top level at club and also playing for their country is way the stress being put on those guys is ludicrous. And I could, you know, we could have an entire conversation just about that, yeah. uh, that, that alone, but uh, overall, yeah. I, you know, I think that the biggest issue is 
much as Rafa Benitez was bad, and I'm sure you guys have talked about that <laughs> ad, ad nauseum, the, the biggest issue that the club has had this year, really, it wasn't Rafa Benitez. It was that Rafa had to roll out, you know, a midfield of Tom Davies and Andre Gomes because Allen was hurt, Ducore was hurt, and, you know, right. all at the same time. So, yeah, uh, that that part of it does definitely concern me. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you know the Dominic Calvert-Lewin aspect of it, I, you know, this is a guy who I feel like we beat into a ground into the ground the last mm-hmm. couple of seasons with how much we, I mean, he played basically every match the last couple of seasons. So it was, it was yeah. a matter of time before he dealt with an injury blow, but you know, the fact that it's not only him, but others that are recurring um, that does seem to, you know, it does worry you a little bit about the way things are being run there. And, and, and again, like you said, Adam, I mean, we're, this is a team that, needs points and needs their best players on the pitch. And, and that's the unfortunate part about it. So rushing them back is maybe not even a, uh, you know, a factor of, you know, just the medical staff. It's a factor of the fact that they need these players on the pitch. And if they're, they believe they're healthy enough to go out there, then, then they'll be available. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely something to look out for, but let's shift now to the lineup. And I mentioned the lineup before, your thoughts on the four three three going into this match, um, and you know, Adam, we'll we'll start with or Calvin, we'll go to you first because Adam, we started with you uh, last time. Um, your thoughts on the formation and how it played out in this match? Yeah, so I think especially with Dom out, I, I think the, the 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 lineup itself, so the eleven players that you know uh, that that we had to put on the pitch, um, kind of chose themselves, and then from that, I think the formation also kind of chose themselves there to chose itself there too. Um, you know, we've been crying out for the three-man midfield for all year long, and we finally had all the players that we wanted in that midfield available. Van de Beek was available, Doe Correa was back and fit again, and ready to start, which I thought was a little surprising. I, I'd expected him to come on as a second-half sub, so that was a pleasant surprise. Um, and so, yeah, again, no surprises. I think he had to play his, his, his best sort of front six, if you will, right, between those three midfielders. Um, you know, at, at this point, Gordon is a must-play, um, Richarlison is a must-start. And then I think Iwobi did enough during the Leeds game to get another you know, nod there. Um, this was this this is more of a tailor-made for Iwobi position, I thought. Um, you know, he kind of holds his own as a right wing back sometimes, or as the right wide midfielder in a four-four-two. But I think the four-three-three, this is a good position for him to be in. Um, and especially with Gray injured, I I, I think I I think Iwobi was ahead of Townsend in the pecking order. So um, right formation, um, and 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 I think right 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 starting lineup too. Adam, how about you? Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think uh, we've seen so much 4-4-2 this season, you know, in, in part, I think, because of the issues that we've had with injuries in the midfield and just the fact that Andre Gomes, you know, is, is he a starting caliber player? Is Tom Davis a starting caliber player? And now he's injured anyway, so, you know, immaterial. Um, but to to be able to throw Donnie into the midfield, and obviously Deli Alley is a, a player who could play a similar position. Um, I, I would expect that this is what we see going forward, especially given the success um, that that Everton had, you know, relatively speaking against the very good city side for long stretches of the match. And, and I don't think it's a coincidence that this is probably the best match that we've seen Allen play this season. Mm-hmm. Um 
in a in a system where he's got Ducore and Donnie Vanderbeek as you know as more advanced midfielders in front of him and really lets him sit in that true number six role where he's just worried about breaking up attacks and playing the right passes to spring things in the other direction and not having to worry about getting forward or worrying about playing in some awkward double pivot. Um, so uh, the combination of him playing well as that six to Corey looking like himself and Van de Beek again, impressing as we've seen pretty much in, in everything that's been asked of him so far. Um, I, I think there's a lot of optimism there. I think it, it, it gives you also the feeling that Lampard, got it right and has a pretty decent sense of of what's at his disposal and how to get the most out of it uh at this stage of the season yeah i mean the four three three. i think i think this like you guys have said i think this is what the direction we're we're going to be heading just because adam as you said it allows alan to drop into that natural six role which i think he's just more comfortable in that role and allow and it lets you know decore get forward it let you know, in the in the two-man midfield that we saw with alan and decore DeCorey wasn't even able to get forward as much because, you know, it then leaves Allen all by himself in the middle of the field, you know, with one, one man to defend a counterattack or whatnot. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of lets DeCorey and Van de Beek run things there. Um, I, you know, I like Wobie on the right, but I, I think once Gray is fully healthy, we'll probably see him if Dominic Calvert-Lewin obviously is not yeah. uh, healthy. Yeah. Well, and I do think that that, you know, as much as we've um, – had issue with the 4-4-2 thus far this season. Um, the one thing that has been good about it is that it allows both Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison into the same lineup. You would assume uh, if Dom is back and you want to play 4-3-3, you probably push Richarlison out on the left, which yeah. I might still argue is his natural position. But uh -huh. then you've got one spot left on, on the right for Anthony Gordon, yeah. Damari Gray, um, you know, Andres Townsend, had a pretty good start to the season. I, you know, I'm not I'm not going to ignore his contributions. Alex Awobi has had something of a revival since Lampard joined. Um, so it's it's a good problem to have, obviously. Uh, right. But it, it, it will be interesting to see what happens out wide when Calvert-Lewin gets back. If we are just going to play one striker and presumably Richarlison goes outside, there's a lot a surprising amount of quality given the way that things have gone this season, you know, competing for what ostensibly is going to be one, one position in the starting 11. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, it's just, you know, in that situation, if you're pushing Richarlison out wide, that means one of Gordon and Gray is going to be on the bench. That means Deli Ali is going to be on the bench. You know, there's quality there. Townsend might be on the bench. There's quality there in a depth where at the beginning of the season, we did not have that. And, in previous seasons, no. recent memory, we have not had that. So that's the beauty of uh, of the situation. And it's you know honestly, it's a good problem to have, especially in the situation we have with the injuries that have been piling up. Um, let's. I mean, really, there isn't there isn't much to talk about this game other than the the big the big thing, the refereeing. There there really isn't. Other than that, there it's not like there were you know have the the Pickford double save. Other than that, we put in a good performance. You know, it was solid defensively. We had some good attacks. Nothing yeah. terribly threatening for the most part. There was that one Richarlison play. But it was a one nothing game, and we'll talk about the – let's talk about the goal first. Before we get in the refereeing, let's talk about the goal. I, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about it. We can make this a quick, this, quick discussion too. 
Adam, we'll start with you. I mean, is there anything that could have been done or is this just an, an unfortunate thing? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, for the first 60 minutes, 50, 60 minutes of the game, you know, Everton was doing a pretty good job of, of pressing a little bit higher up the pitch and, and putting pressure on, on City in the midfield rather than, than sitting in a deep block. But you're only going to be able to do that for so long in terms of fitness, in terms of, you know, when you start looking at the guys that City can bring in off the bench with the fresh legs. Yeah. So, yeah, once you start sitting deep against a team that's got this much attacking talent, uh, no argument that it was the right thing to be doing at that time and, and that, you know, I felt that they performed pretty well in that deep block. Stuff like that's going to happen sometimes. If you're conceding that much possession, you know the balls are going to be coming into the box and you're always, you know, one or two wacky deflections away from Phil Foden having the ball 18 inches from your net if you're <laughs> sitting that deep. Um, which is unfortunately what happened. I thought Michael Keane got some, you know, caught some stick that I, I thought was unfair just yeah. based on the the speed with which that deflection came into him. Um, I, I I don't know necessarily if the Keane-Holgate pairing, even while Mina is out, is necessarily the, the long-term solution. Um, it, to a, maybe Jared Branthwaite gets in there at some point, and that'd be something I'd be interested to see. But I, I don't think that... That's one to me that you just kind of shrug your shoulders at and you say, you know what, if you're going to be playing Manchester City, sometimes shit happens. That's yeah. it. That's, that's just the nature of it. Calvin, how about you? Anything that could have been done? Calvin, are you, Calvin, are you, on, are you on mute? We're not hearing you. Jeez, sorry about that. There we go. Oh, yeah. the resident old man <laughs> forgot to take himself off mute. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm that guy now, right? <laughs> so, uh, on the goal, yeah, it was unfortunate, right? So, uh, again, it's just unfortunate errors, right? So, Coleman consistently getting beat down the right side, right? So, once again, beaten to the to the cross. Obviously, cross comes over. Um, Holgate, you know, same thing an inch another way and the ball either goes out for a corner or is actually cleared, right? It doesn't bounce right into the most dangerous spot it could have gone to. Um, Keen absolutely looked flat-footed. I mean, you know, the replays where you can see him, it's, it's full face frontal. He's just not expecting the ball and all of a sudden it's there. Um, to no one's surprise, Phil Foden, you know, is a twitchy player, right? He reacts quicker than, than, than Michael Keane. You know, we've, we've talked about Michael Keane being slow, at the best of times, in, in, a, in a quick ricochet situation like that, yeah, I would not back Michael Keane to get to the ball first. He doesn't get to the ball first. It was just, it's just funny because he, for that split second, it just looked like he had it and he just needed to raise a foot and that would have cleared the ball and the threat would be gone. And, uh, yeah, and, and obviously, been, there's absolutely nothing Pickford could have done about that one either. So, I, 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 you know, chalk it down to bad luck. That's, there's nothing you could have done there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know I, I was one of the people that <laughs> originally was like, oh, Keen, you got to be kidding me right off the bat. And if you watch this, the slow-mo replay, it doesn't look great because it just looks like he's standing there for 18 seconds. You but see his face like, yep. go from, <laughs> I've got this, to, oh, no, yeah. in slow motion. It's true. It's true. You do see the face. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, there's not really it, – it's, it's a tough it's a tough situation. And like you said, Adam, I mean – Sometimes when you play Man City, this is, this is going to happen. And it's, you know, if that's how they get their one goal, then you probably did a really good job of, of you know, 
playing against them. So, um, you know, it was obviously an unfortunate set of circumstances to lead to that goal after such a good first 80 minutes. Um, but it's made even worse by, and now we'll get into it, the refereeing after this. And then we'll just go through it, and then I will ask for your guys' opinions on the whole situation and kind of what you guys went through uh, watching, watching the situation unfold. But basically, as everybody knows at this point, I don't think it's – I think if you're listening to this podcast, you have a pretty good idea of what happened. Um, uh, you know, uh, there's a ball played in the box. It bounces around, deflected, whatever. Shots deflected, whatever. Ball's bouncing towards the end line, and Rodri approaches the ball. I mean, to everybody but the refs, looks like he sticks his arm out to go touch the ball, controls the ball with his arm, and then goes about it. Obviously, for some reason, Paul Tierney did not see that on the – I don't know if he was blocked. I don't know the reasoning for him not seeing it. It was pretty blatant. Um, So he does not call the penalty. It goes to VAR decision on the next stoppage. And it seems like Paul Tierney is going to the monitor to check it. And then all of a sudden, the announcers say, okay, he's not going to do that. It was called for offsides in the buildup to the play that led to the handball. And then nobody shows the replay. There is no replay. NBC ends up showing a picture of where the offsides could have possibly happened. Then the Premier League clarifies that there was no offsides called. It was a VAR decision. There was no handball. Um, claiming that the ball, I guess, according to the what was tweeted out, uh, that the ball hit the sh- shoulder where the sleeve was, not near the elbow. Yeah. Um, VAR confirmed that decision, and but then after the game, the Premier League said that it was the wrong decision that was made. So all this leads to Everton not getting a chance at a penalty, and granted, they could have missed the penalty, but it is a penalty kick because we – Saw today, for those of you who are watching the um, Liverpool-Chelsea Carabao Cup, there was 21 penalty kicks taken, 22 penalty kicks taken, and 21 of them were made. So there there was a pretty good chance that that we would have found the net and um, a pretty good chance that it would have been tied 1-1. And and listen, we don't know what's going to happen after that. Who knows? City could have put the pressure on again, and they could have scored another one. But Everton gypped of a chance to tie the match. I'll leave it at that. Calvin, we'll start with you. Your thoughts on everything, kind of, you know, take everything into account and and give us us what you're thinking. So, all right. So, here's the thing, right? Why was VAR introduced to the game, right? It was to catch the things the refs miss, right? And I think as Lampard very eloquently put it after the game, that, it's so that there's another set of eyes that can take a minute or two to make a decision when it's not very clear, right? Um, so, you know, you get it, especially with offside. Sometimes, you know, you miss an offside. It's, it, it's not very clear to the eye. So having another couple of angles, another minute of where the play is stopped to make that decision, that's exactly why VAR was there. I think where the Premier League has completely blown the concept of VAR is that there is no clarity when the VAR makes a decision, right, and communicates it to the on-pitch ref, and when the ref should go to the pit side monitor, when the ref should trust his own eyes and make a judgment over the VAR 
it seems to be not clear at all, right? And this, this predates yesterday's game. This goes back a couple of years, right? And I, I think more than once it's been raised that if there is a senior ref sitting in the VAR booth, more often than not, a younger ref on pitch will, get, will, will let them make that decision. And, and, and so this is, this is the background to what happened yesterday, right? Now, Paul Tierney, Chris Kavanaugh, so the on-pitch ref, Paul Tierney, um, how he didn't see that is ridiculous, right? Because the Everton fans behind the Everton goal could see that that, that was a penalty, right? Right across the pitch. And Paul Tierney was, sure, Rodri had his back to him, but even the angles you see in slow motion of pictures taken from behind Rodri, it's very clear that's nowhere near the, the so-called T-shirt line, right? Um, and I think the official reasoning was that more of the ball was above the T-shirt line than below the T-shirt line. Uh, that, that's utter poppycock. This, 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 this is just ridiculous, right? At some point, you have to put your foot down. That was a bullshit decision. And, and, and so it seems like the Premier League has walked back some of their decisions. Um, so again, Paul Tierney missed the decision. That went to VAR. At some point, Chris Kavanaugh and the VAR booth, I don't know how he blew that call, but he made the decision and he passed it on to Paul Tierney. And why Paul Tierney did not go look at that for himself at the pit side monitor, again, one of those mysteries of life, right? But it clearly looks like Paul Tierney said, all right, Chris Kavanaugh, you told me it's not a penalty. It's not a penalty. I'm going to go with that. That is a breakdown in the whole VAR system. So that's, that, that's all I'm going to say about that. Adam. Yeah, I think uh, what I have said, as certainly um, as an MLS supporter, which we'll get into in a little bit, um, <laughs> I have had you know my own experiences with VAR here in the states. In addition to to what what we've seen in in England, and what I've always said about VAR that that again proves true um, in in this match is that it's only as good as the folks who are operating it, um, and if you've got a guy like Chris Kavanaugh, who's not a good referee to begin with, um, you know, uh, sitting in that chair making the decision, um, that's a problem. If, if you don't have uh, quality officials making the decisions, you can have all of the technological anything that you want. And if you're not having a, a quality person make that decision, you're going to have the wrong decision. Now, with that said, could we always use more clarity on what is or is not a handball? Certainly. What is a handball is one of the great existential questions of our time. Um, but much like in the NFL, what is a catch? No one really knows what, what is a handball a catch? is, but you're pretty sure you know when you see it. We definitely saw it. Um, you know, I, I, my understanding of the way that, that VAR works is that, okay, the play happens. Now, uh, you know, the on-field official gets in his ear. Okay, uh, we're taking a look at it. So, okay, so Tierney holds the play up. We wait. We wait. Now, at that point, it's out of his hands. And as much as um, it's frustrating to me for an on-field official to miss that, I, I thought Lampard's comments after the match, uh, you know, were, uh, as Calvin said, were, were pretty eloquent that Lamps went up to to Tierney afterwards and basically said, A, was there an offsides in that? 
And he got told straight away, nope, that was never a consideration. So I'm also interested where that came from to begin with, because it was yeah. very clear from the images they were looking at on the VAR, no one was ever looking at that. Yeah. So I have words for the person who decided that that's what was happening and fed it to <laughs> someone at NBC or wherever it was being broadcast in the UK. Yeah. I digress. So it's not offsides. And and then Tierney basically, you know, according to, to Lampert about the conversation that they had, Tierney basically told him straight up, like, I got unsighted by it. I don't, you know, I, I have not personally looked at the at any images of exactly where he was standing and what could have been between him and the ball. Right. But like, even that, uh, uh, is it frustrating? Yeah. A am I am I willing to accept that as an explanation? Sure. Everything's happening a million miles an hour out there. I get it. There's human error that goes into it when you're doing stuff at full speed. I get it. And I appreciate that Tierney outright says to Lampard, like, hey, I, I was not in a position where I could see it. I, I get it. You know, that's that, that's fair. Yeah. Um, but then to have this system in place that is specifically, like Calvin said, it's specifically designed to prevent exactly what happened yesterday and to have it yeah. be so blatantly misused to the point that Kavanaugh doesn't even tell Tierney to go take a look at it himself, because at the end of the day, it is the head referee's decision. That it, everything that right. is decided, you know, on the pitch for that 90 minutes, it's ultimately the head ref's called. So if it's close at all, if there is any question about it, which obviously there wasn't any question because it should have been a penalty. But if you're, if you have just one percent doubt as the VAR, you should be telling the head referee, "Hey, go take a look at that. I'm not sure. This is look. your, this is your game. You're the man. You go make a decision on this based on these clips that I think are most relevant." Um, so the fact that we didn't even get to that is is outright ludicrous. So for me. Do I have a little bit of a beef with Tierney? Eh, maybe, but uh, it's it's on Kavanaugh both to to not get the call right by himself and not to to send it down to the the head referee. Um, it is completely inexcusable. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. that the thing here is just you know, if it's close, it should automatically be sent down. Like as long as it's remotely close, it should be sent down to the monitor to the head referee. I, obviously not with offsides because offsides is a monitor thing and they have the whole system that referee can't deny. There really isn't yeah. anything the referee can't. Let's, let's not go into that because it's yes. a whole different – That's it's also bad, but for different yes. reasons. Let's yeah, not. That's, that's a whole different <laughs> so, thing. Well, hang on a second. So while we are talking about offsides, we should clarify that Lampard did say Tierney told him that it was not offside. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that check had yeah. already happened – Right. So again, just to be clear, because I know a lot of people are like, oh, it doesn't matter if it's a penalty or not, or handball or not, because he was offside. He was not offside. Let's and, get that clear. Premier League. Right. Yeah, the, the Premier League said that, but I, I also, like I said, I don't even know where that's come from because yeah. the what what the VAR is looking at uh, as as he's reviewing it is Checking coming through on our screen. Yeah. We're watching it on the television. And he's not looking at offside. Nobody was ever looking at it. And I don't, again, I can't speak for what, what existed on broadcasts in the UK or anything like that. In the States, NBC Sports had 
um, you know, had one shot from your center, center of the pitch, general broadcast camera, where they drew a line that said, well, here's where the last defender kind of is, and here's where Richarlison is, so maybe it's offside. But again, if that's all that exists, it's not even that that he wasn't offside. So they never looked. It, it yeah. never crossed anyone's right. mind to even check it because if they did, we would have seen it and we would have had the official, you know, offsides review angle to, to measure it on. We right. didn't even have that. So yeah. the idea that offsides factored into it at all, you know, completely bunk from the off for about five different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. it was, I mean, it was just, it was very poor handling. I mean, it's, I, that's it, it, it. It's just so the way it all played out, and the way it, you know, it, it was just like it was almost like they were trying to lie to us. They were like they they knew they had the wrong decision, and they didn't want to give us the penalty, so they were try like the offside call comes out of nowhere. The now then the Premier League puts out the thing where it's like this is where a handball is, and this is where it isn't, and then the Premier League's like, oh well, that didn't work either. Yeah. So I guess we have to tell them the truth that it actually was the wrong call, like. I'm I'm about to tell all of my defenders to start wearing long sleeve shirts every game. If, yeah. If all that needs to happen is that the ball needs to touch my shirt sleeve, yeah. uh, I'm going to be having these guys wearing sleeves three feet past the edge of their hands. Yeah. What a, like, stupid, what a stupid interpretation. Whose idea was that? Anyway. Yeah. Uh, it, I digress. But yeah. It, it's it's just. You go ahead, Calvin. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's a Paul Tierney not blameless, by the way, on this one, right? Because a couple of things. Because one of the things we do see him do um, to, like, when play resumes after the non-VAR call, what does Tierney do? He puts his hand up and indicates a line with the other hand. Go look at the replay. That's offside. So what are you saying? I think, I think that the stoppage that the first stoppage that happened after the incident was in offsides. So that, so uh-huh. it is, oh, it is that, the, okay. the, the, but, but I will agree with you that the way in which he emphasizes it is bizarre right? because all you really need to do is just put your arm up and say, or, or not even, or just blow the whistle and just indicate to play on. Absolutely. Yeah, it is, on. It is right. his body yeah. language where he, he put his arm up and he's emphatically pointing uh, in the other direction <laughs> that I think g- initially gives rise to the theory that it is offsides. I understand yeah. why he's done that yeah. because it wasn't offsides that stopped the play then. So the indication is, okay, we're carrying on from the offsides that stopped the play. But y- yes, I yeah. think you're right, Calvin, that that's probably where the confusion starts to set in in terms of, okay, what was the call here? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was just a really bad display overall. <laughs> it was just yes. really bad overall. And the no crazy thing, <laughs> the crazy thing too, because is that before that, right? Yeah. Before that, like Tierney, right? And so Manchester city had a, a game plan in this game to systematically foul Richardson and every time he touched the ball with his back to goal. And they were very smart about it because they had not, they had like a different player coming in and, and clocking him in the back every single time. I think everyone in that back line, John Stones included, took out Richardson at one point or the other. And, and Tierney just let that slide, right? And more than and once, this- you can see Alan and Coleman, yeah. like, yeah, go ahead, Adam. 
Uh, and this is not a new tactic for Manchester City. Yeah. Um, this is something no, that, that has long, you know, long been accused of. And, and I mean, it works because he continues to get away with it. When you what? throw eight and nine guys into the attack the way that City does, yeah, when, when the ball turns yep. over, you're going to hack a guy. Yeah. And if nobody's going to book your players for doing it, you're going to keep doing it because it's effective. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to throw shade at Guardiola for coaching yeah. his players to play in a way that, although, you know, by the letter of the law, probably not legal. All that matters is how the refs call it on the field. And absolutely, Richarlison got obliterated, obliterated in that match. Yeah, and it was just like, it was just weird that there was, I mean, there was no yellow cards handed out until after like the 87th minute, I think was the first yellow card handed out to the city. So that was another thing a lot of people had gripe with, which I think is fair as well. But the funny thing in all this is that Chris Cavanaugh was on VAR again today for the Wolves Westchester match or West Ham match. So, um, Let's see. oh my god! So somehow he's managed to get both of the last two games in a row. Somehow, even after that, um, but yeah, it's just—I mean—and it's not the first time. I think he was also in charge of the decision that didn't give us the penalty against Tottenham, or no, was the yes. And then he was also in charge of the decision that gave meant that took away the Dominic Calvert Lewin goal against Manchester United and then he gave Carlo the red. Correct. And then Correct. and then we yep. were we literally last week we had a handball that wasn't called. Like it just like it it just seems like targeting at this point. Like it happens to us almost <laughs> every week, it feels like where it's just a call doesn't go our way. I don't know um, about you guys, but again, watching it on NBC, um, Arlo White initially incorrectly stated that Martin Atkinson was the VAR yeah, um, on duty. He right. was actually the fourth official on the day. And when I heard, I, I said to my girlfriend, who didn't care, but was very, very kind. <laughs> anyway, you know, as soon as I heard, as soon as I heard it was Martin Atkinson, I knew, oh well, this isn't going our way at all. And yeah. then, and then yeah. it, it didn't go our way. And then Arlo goes, oh, it's actually. Actually, Chris Cavanaugh, Martin Atkins, since the fourth official, I went, oh, man, now I got to be angry for a whole different reason. Now it really is incompetence. It's not just another fucking Martin Atkins yeah. bullshit moment. God, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> I, I, I think it's saying something when every single team, like Premier League and lower down, has a beef with Chris Cavanaugh. I think he's just a terrible ref. Someone well, just sent I, us a video on, on the RB Mersey thing about... Uh, how he shafted NK Dons, right? Like an, a like a lower <laughs> league team. So I I know the Liverpool guys absolutely hate Kavanaugh. Klopp and him had a a whole face off at the I think after a game. So clearly he's just an equal opportunity shafter. He just screws everyone. Like yeah. The hell? I- well, and I I don't I don't personally Kavanaugh doesn't strike me as one of the names. You know that there are some that when you hear you go, Jump oh God, you know, this guy right. has a, you know, has a reputation of favoring the big clubs or whatever. Uh, Kavanaugh's just bad at his job. And that's what I said up front. And, and if, if the Premier League's, um, if the Premier League or the FA or whoever's in charge of that, if, if they're um, a plan for what to do with bad referees is to put them in charge of the most controversial controversial decisions made in every game by making them the VAR that's that's worse you're making the problem worse so uh, how how he how is a referee who is bad at his job lands a VAR gig to 
begin with, which is a very difficult job, and I understand that, is beyond me. How he botches it so badly in in the Everton match and then gets the same gig in a in a Premier League match the following day is mind-blowing. So, uh, like I said, VAR is only as good as the people who implement it. And if if this is how the folks in charge of refereeing in England are are going to handle the system going forward, it will continue to be bad. Uh, There's there's not really anything else to say about it. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. I mean, you can't really say anything else about it. It's over now, but... I mean, I think Everton – and the thing is, it's not like it's just Everton fans calling them out on this. This has been a pretty wide-ranging, you know, call of incompetence on Chris Kavanaugh's part. Like, And, and let's said. be clear, this, this was a call so bad that it got Everton and Liverpool supporters to agree about something. <laughs> That's how bad a call it was. That is <laughs> true. We're interests, but – but looking at Twitter after the match was hilarious because all of the people angry are some, you know, are John, uh, you know, their, their Twitter handles are John Smith EFC and then John Smith LFC. And I'm going, how are these two people agreeing on anything? <laughs> <laughs> it is wild. Well, vested interests, obviously. City winning yes. means bad things for Liverpool, obviously. But yeah, yeah if, uh, if, obviously if, trust, trust refereeing to bring, to bring us the, the, you know, past the Merseyside divide. So sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's. I, I mean we 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 beat a, a dead horse on this one at this point. I mean it it's just it's it's tough. I, we can't do anything about it now. Got to go move on from it. But I mean it's it's fair to think that we were we were we were chipped a, a point in this one, especially with the way we played, uh, especially with the way we played. Yeah, so exactly. Um, anything else you guys want to touch on in this match uh, before we move on? I mean, I, I just, I, I think we, we glossed over it a little bit just because obviously the refereeing is, is indeed the talking point of the day. But I mean, this is, was maybe the best match that the club has played all season. It's certainly yeah. top five. Yeah. Um, so I think that yeah. obviously uh, Newcastle won this week, so it drops us down to 17th and it's getting real, real sweaty down there. Um, but Based on the guys who are coming back from injury, the performances that we've seen from Donny Van de Beek, uh, I, I remain not that concerned because it feels like we're this close to a breakthrough, yeah. obviously, but but yeah. we remain at the whims of, you know, of fate because we've put ourselves in a position where we're this close to the bottom as it is. There's no, uh, there's no good right. time to be a point out of the relegation zone, but I, I feel pretty good coming out of this that we are indeed headed in the right direction. Yeah. I think the thing we mean, Calvin, we're talking about this beforehand too, you know, our next four games are Tottenham away, uh, Wolves at home, Newcastle at home and Watford at uh, on the road. So, I mean, I think it's fair to say we can get seven points out of those games. You know, it's a couple wins. I think, I think, I think, I don't think the Newcastle match, in my personal opinion, I, I don't think, I think we were better than the way we played after Mina and, and uh, Gray went off in that yeah. match. So I, I'm not as worried. Like, I think we can, I think it's possible at home to get three points off of them. I think we can beat Watford, and I think you, you get a point from Wolves, and I think that's a, you know, a possibility. 
and we are indeed at the point now where we've got to start looking at those matches against the Newcastles and the Watfords of the world yeah. who were floating around yeah. in that relegation zone and circling those dates on the calendar yeah. if we don't you know, start picking up some points against the Tottenham's and Wolves of the world because yeah. uh, those are going to be pretty important yeah. if we're not careful. And, I mean, listen, if we do get those seven points, right, and, you know, that's, that puts us, I think, in a pretty good position on 29 points with – a game against Burnley still to make up, a game against yeah. Leicester still to make up. So, um, you know, and then Brentford still on the schedule. So I think that there's points to be had there. I think, you know, I'm not, you know, in full panic zone yet. I think the way we played was, like you said, Adam, I think it was, it was a good, good indication of, of that, that it's, you know, the, the quality's there. It's just got to get the results now. So, um, yeah. all right, let's take a quick break. And uh, we'll come back, and after the break, we'll talk a little bit about the new technical director or fo- director of football uh, for Everton, uh, Kevin Thelwell. All right, we're back, and now we're talking about Everton's latest hire, um, guest taking over the director of football role from Marcel Brands, who left, obviously, in January. I think it was when he officially left. Um, Adam, you obviously know a decent amount about uh, about uh, the new man being the fact that he was the director of football or technical director over at um, or over at um, New York Red Bulls, which is you know a team that you are very um, very well versed in. So why don't you lead us off here and give us a little bit about him and kind of what he's done in the past and maybe what we should expect in the future. Sure. Um, so, I mean, just the kind of the header on this is that I'm a, I'm a lifelong New York Red Bulls and Metro Stars before that um, supporter. It's about it's actually probably greater suffering than being an Everton supporter, if you can believe that. So, uh, yes, I am a masochist. I hate myself. Um, but so in, in terms of Thelwell and his time at, at Red Bull, so he was there for about 18 months. Um, I think the first thing that's kind of important to preface this with is that him coming to Red Bull was weird. His position before that was in a similar, you know, technical director, director of sport, general manager, whatever you call it in your part of the world or whatever the clubs are calling it at, at Wolves. And I mean, Wolves are in a very good place right now. They were in a decent place then. So it was kind of a weird, um, a, a weird move. It certainly lateral at best um to for him to come to mls um in terms of his time with the new york red bulls the the red bulls are probably if you are exclusively a european football um follower probably not quite what you think they are um obviously red bull came in and took over what is now RB Leipzig, what is now RB Salzburg, and basically just poured money into those those clubs to basically buy their way in, you know, in Leipzig's case, uh, into the Bundesliga and then into the top four in the Bundesliga, and in Salzburg's case, into being easily the best team in Austria. Um, the, the New York Red Bulls, uh, at least for the last decade or so, have not gotten that, that kind of monetary support. Um, they just haven't. I am mad about it, but that's not what this is. This conversation is about. Um, so, so Thelwell worked with what was definitely um, a limited budget, bar none. 
Um, so I, I think that there are two big takeaways from his time in New York that immediately um, are, are applicable in, in good ways um, at Everton. And then we can kind of talk about some of the other tangential stuff. Um, one is that if you are not a, um, a Red Bull or a, an MLS uh, fan, MLS has the most archaic, asinine, ridiculous roster and player movement rules you've ever heard of in your life. Um, go Google like designated player or discovery list or allocation order. It's nonsensical. Um, there's a salary cap as well, um, all of which are things that a lot of folks who have worked in Europe and come to the States like Thelwell did um, have really struggled with because it's not like anything that exists anywhere else in the world. Um, and what I will say of Thelwell is that I never got the impression he was one of those guys who struggled with the complexities of MLS roster rules. Um, and I, I think that that's something that's important to take as he comes to Everton now, because we are certainly when you look at the finances of the last 12 months at the club, is there a financial fair play issue at, involved? Certainly that's a possibility. Um, or is there just something funny going on with the finances with Farhad Mashiri that's going to you know, create some strange requirements for how he needs to build a, a squad going forward. Uh, probably one of those two th things is true. Um, and I think the fact that during his time in MLS, he got an opportunity to work with an even more ridiculous rule set in terms of player movement and player acquisition um, is a positive one. He's not going to be overwhelmed by any FFP stuff that he, he runs into at Everton because he had to you know, work with an allocation, a uh, player allocation list in MLS. Uh, so that's one. And, and two, you know, I ultimately already touched on, uh, he got no money, none to work with at Red Bull. Um, and at a minimum, he kept the club um, pretty much where it was when, when he got there in terms of its uh, its place in the league, which was about mid-table. Um, they just squeaked into the playoffs last year, which is about half the teams in the league get into the playoffs. They got bounced in the first round, but put together a team that was respectable after kind of inheriting a mess. Um, the club's best all-time goal scorer had just left. The club's um, record goalkeeper had just left. They had just moved um, their former captain uh, in an in intra-league trade. There, it was an enormous clusterfuck, and he managed to come in with limited budget and keep the team respectable. Um, obviously, at Everton, we're hoping for more than just respectable. I think we have probably higher goals at Everton Football Club than, than the New York Red Bulls do. Um, but I don't think, again, based on what he had to deal with at, at Red Bull, I don't think he'll walk into the situation in terms of what's currently there in terms of player personnel and the budget that he's going to have to build upon that and go, oh God, what is this? Because he was definitely in a worse place when he took over at Red Bull and managed to keep that team at about a mid-table um, a, a mid performance level. 
Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, you know, like, like you said, it sounds like he's prepared for what he's getting himself into, which is a nice thing to know. Yeah. Because, you know, this is a situation, like you said, we, we don't know, I guess, what the next few months are going to look like in terms of financial fair play or what Farhad Marshiri might be affected or, um, you know, all that stuff. So, um, you know, I know that when he was at his time at Wolves, he, you know, we, there's been a lot of talk about him being the guy who brought in Diogo Jota, um, I think Neves, um, Adam Dan Donker. Yep. So, I mean, he's clearly got an eye for, for talent in certain, you know, certain areas. And, um, obviously that's obviously a, a bright spot. Um, what do you think he, I mean, obviously he, he's got a lot of things I think he needs to fix right, right now in the Everton football club. But um, kind of what do you expect, I guess, maybe the first year of him to look like? Do you, do you expect him to tackle the, the roster a lot in this first year? I mean, obviously we don't know financially wise, but um, how do you kind of expect this first year to go under him? Yeah, so obviously, you know, there are folks who are better positioned to talk about his time at Wolves um, than I am. But, you know, the, the basics of, of what he did at Wolves is not entirely dissimilar to what he did at Red Bull, which was at, at Red Bull, he brought in just literal children, just by the bucket load. This is the, the Red Bulls had their their uh, season opener last night and their opening day roster had like an average age of 22 years old. Um, and that's with a 29 year old and a 31 year old, yeah. um, 29 year old at center back and a 31 year old as the backup goalkeeper. So you take him out there even younger. So uh, again, part of that was, was based on um, budgetary restrictions and, and all of that. But again, when you look at what he did at Wolves, there was certainly um, an emphasis on acquiring young players who he felt the the club could could develop. Um, he obviously did a pretty good job with that at Wolves because you look at at some of the players who are are still you know still at Wolves, like guys like Ruben Neves, um, who are currently powering them to a top four run. Um, which is spectacular. And you look at some of the other guys who have since moved on, you know, a guy like Diogo Jota, who, um, you know, is one of the most important players that Liverpool has had this season. Um, those, you know, certainly more hits than misses in his time uh, at Wolves. Uh, a little too early to, to say anything in terms of uh, how, what his hit rate's going to be like with the Red Bulls, just because there's been so many young players and so little time has passed. There's certainly one or two. Um, I think Awiki Carmona, um, Carlos Cornell in goal, who came from Red Bull Salzburg, um, that, that have looked like young, promising players who can come through. Uh, so, uh, to, to answer, I say all of that to answer your original question, which is what can we expect? Based on what he's done in his past, he is very experienced in identifying both domestic and foreign young talent to try to bring into the club and develop from within. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's great. Obviously, that is the way that you can build a long-term productive football club the way that Wolves has become now um, if if you are good at identifying that talent uh, my concern is that in, in addition to doing that which we would like to see you know at, at Everton you know potentially some additional youth uh, in the center of midfield if Vanderbeek doesn't stay uh, maybe in goal on the back line um, 
there isn't a ton of experience for him in terms of adding win now prime of their career type of players not at wolves not at red bull um and if if everton is going to if everton wants to be able to put this season behind us at the end you know you figure we get to the end of the season and we finish 13th 14th maybe that's you know that that is kind of if things go on the general trajectory we expect um all well and good but if we want to immediately bounce back from that then there needs to be an ability to add in players who are going to help this team right now and i don't I don't, there is very little um, past experience on his part to pull from to judge how well he might or might not be able to do that. Yeah, I, I, Calvin, do you have anything to add before I ask or anything that you want to ask? Uh, no, go ahead, Gino. I, I, we'll circle back around to some of his Wolves experience because I think I want to yeah. talk about that. Yeah, I, I just want to know, I mean, obviously um, – I think, you know, we got a new manager now and, and now this new director of football. How well do you think him and Lampard match up? Is it a good fit in your opinion? I mean, Lampard seems to be a guy who likes to work with youth. You're saying that um, Thelwell is, is more of a guy who likes to bring in that youth. Is this like a good match for Everton moving forward? Or, or is it, you know, how do, how do you feel about that? Um, yeah, you know, I, I think that that's, um, that's certainly – uh, something that we can feel good about. Um, Lampard has certainly come in, you know, and immediately said, all right, Alan Gordon is, is a guy that we're going to, you know, rely on heavily, brought John Joe Kenny back into the fold. And certainly when you look at his time um, at Chelsea, you know, one of the more positive uh, aspects of his legacy there is bringing some of the younger players who had been disregarded by by older managers and just kind of the way that Chelsea operated um, in, you know, guys like Mason Mount, uh, Calum Hudson-Odoi, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I, I do think that there's, there's a, a good matchup of philosophy there. The other thing that I will add in terms of managerial philosophy and um, at the director level um, is I don't have a ton to say based on Thelwell's time at Red Bull about if he has a type of system he'd like to play, if he has a type of player that he prefers or anything like that, purely because um, the one thing that Red Bull Global really pushes down to all of its, you know, uh, children clubs is that they want to play a super high pressing, super direct um, style of soccer. And they hire the Red Bulls hired Gerhard Struber um, a little bit after they had hired Thelwell to, to be their, their head coach. Um, Struber is a guy who, also lives for that high press. So it was never in doubt that Thelwell was going to have to be a guy who looked for players and to build out a system um, that could support that, that ultra high pressing style of play. I don't think that he is personally attached to it, but I don't think that we can say mm. that there is or isn't anything that he is attached to from a stylistic perspective based on his time at Red Bull, because that was pushed down upon him from his bosses. Yeah. Uh, Calvin thoughts on, on the addition and, and, you know, maybe some just thoughts that you had, you've had. 
Yeah, so a couple of things, slightly different topics, but you know, one is Thelwell's time at Wolves, right? So uh, Thelwell's history at Wolves was he was uh, uh, the, the coach of the under-18s and then kind of grew from there to become the director of the academy and then eventually took on that sporting director, director of football role, right? Um, one of the asterisks around him finding these players like the Jotas and the Neveses of the world is that Wolves have this very strong relationship with super agent Jorge Mendes, right? So Mendes is Cristiano Ronaldo's, uh, you know, agent. And I think he's got like about a hundred, you know, top class players all over the world, all on his books. And that they obviously Wolves have this tie up with the Portuguese footballing system where a lot of these young potential Portuguese players who have lots of potential, who look like they can be stars, kind of end up getting blooded at Wolves and then moved along, you know, like the Jodas of the world, right? So um, I guess some questions can be asked on, on how much Selwell did that scouting versus there were players Mendes kind of pushed on him. And, and I don't think that's necessarily a negative because in Everton land, we know very well that Farhad Mashiri is at, usually at the whims of some super agents of his own, right? I think a lot was made about his relationship with the, another super agent, uh, Kia Jurabchian over, over January. Um, you know, Jorge Mendes has worked with Farhad Mashiri and Bill Kenwright in the past as well. So, um, if, if Kevin Thelwell wants to make that connection with uh, with Jorge Mendes and start getting some of the, that Portuguese talent our way, not going to complain, right? You bring that right over here, we'll take them. So, um, <laughs> so uh, I think there's a little bit of that, right? So I think Kevin Thelwell has shown that he can work with others, right? He's not necessarily an autocrat. It's not the, hey, these are the guys I want in and, and that's it. Um, I, I think he might be a little flexible there. Um, and then the other piece about his appointment, which I think was interesting, was um, I think there were two front runners for this position, right? Elwell was one of them. The other was uh, Steve uh, Stephen Hitchin, um, who's basically done a bunch of similar roles at Tottenham, right? And 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 I think what was interesting, what we heard in the lead up to this announcement, was that one. Um, that Frank Lampard, when he was asked about the vacant, at that time, vacant position, Frank Lampard said, yeah, he would be interested in having a say in who becomes the new director of football at Everton, which is a little bit of oppositeness going on there, because normally you want your director of football to hire your manager. Um, but the fact that it's, it's Thelwell here and not Hitchin tells me that Lampard, if he did have a say in the matter, has stylistically had this conversation with, with Selwell and thought Selwell was the better candidate. I think the other thing that came out after the appointment was that, you know, Tim Cahill has been involved with Everton again in the last couple of months, right? With all the vacancies and, and all the people getting sacked behind the scenes at Everton, uh, Tim Cahill kind of put his administrator hat on and was helping the team with interviewing managers and that, and then, and then, and then, you know, word was that Tim Cahill was the one who kind of green-lighted uh, Selwell over Steve Hitchin, Stephen Hitchin. So um, I think that's that's interesting, right? I, I I feel that when you have the manager who's in charge and someone who gets Everton, and they've both kind of signed off on this guy, it's it, it's I I think it it sounds like they they've made they've they've put their names on the line saying that this was the better choice for that. So. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll go ahead and trust uh, Tim Cahill and, 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 and Frank Lampard's judgment on this one. 
And, and the other thing I would add to the Cahill point is a great shout, Calvin. The, the other thing that I would add, again, just having the, the Red Bull background, um, there's Tim Cahill has, has really, since his move as Everton supporters will probably recall, he moved from Everton to New York Red Bulls and spent a couple right. of seasons here, um, and, and including one where he was a very, very good player. Um, but he, since his departure, I don't know, 2013, 2014, um, my impression is not that he's maintained any real relationship with the club, uh, with, with New York Red Bulls. Um, there was a little bit of a disagreement, I think, um, about his uh, one or more commitments to the Australian national team, that there was a disagreement with the coach at the time. Um, he certainly, in his last season, was not... Um, was no longer a, a first 11 player after uh, after Bradley Wright Phillips kind of burst onto the scene in MLS. So it, I, I am almost even more inclined to be impressed that Thelwell gets the Tim Cahill stamp of approval because I don't think I wouldn't say that Tim Cahill left New York Red Bulls necessarily on the best of terms. <laughs> yeah. So if, if he's, you know, giving the thumbs up to a guy who spent the last 18 months working at Red Bull. It's it's not because he spent the last 18 months working at Red Bull. It's potentially in spite of that fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, that's um, that's a great point, Adam. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's nice knowing that Tim Cahill was involved. I think he he's he's been involved in a lot of the process that has led to decisions that I think both. Um, you know, I, I think that the fans have have been along with and on board with, um, you know, as opposed to the Rafa Benitez signing. Um, but I, yeah, I think Tim Cahill and, and if, and if Lampard was involved as well, I think that's a, um, you know, that's a good, good, um, a good thing too, being that we want them to be on the same page. Calvin, uh, you had something that you yeah. want to say. Yeah. So, uh, and, and for the folks listening on the, on this, right. Um, you know, we, we, we talked to Adam at length and Adam put some words down on paper for us. We just published that on Sunday afternoon. So make sure you go out to the site and then, you know, like read what Adam had to say about, you know, Thelwell pretty much in depth. Um, and I think just to look forward to it this week as well, uh, we're talking to our sister SB Nation soccer blog, Once Upon a Metro. Um, you know, that's the RBNY, um, you know, site. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're going to give us some answers as well about what to expect from Kevin Thurwell. So keep an eye out for that. Yeah. All right. So um, I think anything else, Adam, that we missed that you wanted to add um, on, on him? Uh, Godspeed to him. Yeah. He's a crazy. He's a crazy person going from a relatively secure, what seemed like a secure position at Wolves to the madness at Red Bull to now the madness at Everton. But I, I wish him the best. I hope that uh, <laughs> that he finds a lot of success here. Yeah, I hope. I hope that putting out fires is uh, at the, the top of his resume because yeah, that's what he's going to have to do a lot of as soon as he steps on in on the job. But um, all right, so let's take another quick break, and then we'll break down uh, the match coming up against Borumwood, Borum, Borham. I'm not. I'm honestly not sure which one it is. But we'll break down that match coming up after the break. All right, we are back, and now we're talking about Everton's FA Cup fifth round match with um, Borum. Is it Borumwood, Borham? Do we know? It's just Borum. I think you just, just say it as one word. Yeah, yeah. Bo- Borum, Borumwood. Um, 
Bournemouth is a fifth league or fifth tier um, side in yeah. England. Uh, they got here by beating Bournemouth one nothing in the previous round. Um, this will be Bournemouth's first ever competitive meeting with a top flight side, um, which is a fun little tidbit there. Whilst only one of the previous seven non-league sides uh, to pit their wits against a top flight opposition at the round five stage of the FA Cup have progressed. So, um, you know, some history there since the 2-1 defeat uh, to Swindon back in 1911-1912. Everton have progressed from each of their last 10 cup ties against non-league opposition, uh, which is uh, a nice thing to know. Um, Everton have progressed to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup on 11 of the last 13 occasions. They've reached the fifth round, including each of the last five. The last time they were eliminated at this stage of the competition was in 2010-2011 against Reading. Um, Everton boss Frank Lampard has progressed from 10 of his 12 FA Cup ties as a manager, only failing to do so with Derby in round five in 2018-2019 versus Brighton and losing in the final of the competition with Chelsea against Arsenal. So a little background on the match. Um, we'll, we'll put this disclaimer out there. We do not know much about Boreham Wood, as I'm, I would imagine a lot of people don't. We do know I don't know anything have, about Boreham Wood. We do know that they have a right back or left back that is an Everton fan, a Tony Hibbert fan that we saw. We do it's know it's more than an Everton fan. He is the I think he is the biggest Tony Hibbert fan in the universe, <laughs> if that if you could imagine that. But yes, uh, <clears throat> And I'm actually a right back, and uh, I believe from an interview we read, and his name's Kane Smith, by the way, but uh, Kane Smith had some point indicated that he only chose to play right back because of how much he loved Tony Hibbert and uh, that he wanted to follow in his footsteps. So, yeah, more power to him. Has, um, has he ever scored a goal? Does anyone know? Has he ever he scored has. a goal at any He's, level? A lot more prolific, believe it or not, than Tony Hibbert is. I, I, I mean, I'm equally prolific to Tony Hibbert, and I've played zero uh, professional soccer matches, football matches. So, so what you're telling me is he's going to score against us. Um, God, don't. Why, why would you even say that? Well, it's, it's already out there. It's already out there. Does, don't worry. Um, it's the magic of the cup. So there yeah, you the go. magic of the cup. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Fortunately, this game is taking place at Goodison, which doesn't normally happen in the fifth round. We've had back-to-back -back home games now because of, I guess, how poorly we finished last year. I don't even know luck how that of the happens. Draw. But luck it's of just the luck draw. of the draw. Um, but, um, yeah. but, yeah, so we um, – and then we also paid for their jerseys because I guess there was a jersey clash and they didn't have kits. So they had, they, we paid for their kits for this match as well. So just a little background of what we know about Borumwood. Let's skip to the Everton side of things, which we know much more about. Um, do we expect to see a full strength lineup in this match? Now we do have a game on Monday against Tottenham. Obviously the Premier League is taking precedent, of course, we will not have Donny Van de Beek at our disposal. We will not have Deli Ali at our disposal. We will not have El Ghazi at our disposal in this match. So, Oh, shucks. Yeah. That, that, that's kind of a throwaway one. Yeah, it's a um, what do you guys expect to see in this? Are we expecting to see Gray return to the lineup? Are we, how, how do you expect, it to, to expect us to line up in, in this match? Um, Adam, we'll start with you. 
Uh, I mean, I would tend to think that that we are going to get a, a pretty young side. I, I, you know, Ducore has just come back from injury. I can't imagine he plays. Uh, Richarlison got the piss beat out of him at the weekend. I can't imagine he plays. Um, you know, certainly a guy like Jared Branthwaite, I think, is a, a good option to get in there. Um, we probably get Asmir Begovic in goal and give Pickford the, the day off. Um, certainly... This is we know that that we're going to have to be focusing on the Premier League going forward at least for the next six to eight weeks. And you know, and yeah. at that point, maybe maybe we've done enough that that you can you can maybe put a first eleven into an FA Cup, knowing you might rest some guys in a Premier League game. Mm-hmm. But especially against a non-league side, I have a hard time believing that we see very many starters uh, in this one, unless yeah. uh, unless Lampard feels that. Like you've alluded to, uh, if a guy like Damari Gray, maybe if he feels it's beneficial for his rehab to start, then maybe we see Gray or Calvert-Lewin, et cetera. Um, but outside of that, you know, I think we get a combination of youngsters and Andros Townsend-type players who yeah. are you know, on the fringes yeah. right now. Calvin, how about you? you agree? Yeah, I, I think I agree. Uh, you know, I, I think a few people um, who who I would say would be nailed on to start here just because they need those minutes. I, you know, I'd expect to see Dele Ali in this one from the start. I, I think he's he's had a lot of uh, you know twenty thirty minute appearances. I think he played well, the, was it well, the Newcastle game where he had to play Delhi's because- cup tied. Oh, duh. Yeah, sorry. That's true. Oh, Delhi's cup side. Oh, well, I guess that makes things much, much easier than, right? So I, expect- I, would bet <laughs> <laughs> I bet you he isn't even in the squad. Oh, oh man. Fuzzy Calvin today. All right. So, uh, so then I think it's pretty clear. I think Rondon starts. Um, obviously, with oh. Van der Beek, I, I would say there's another concern with Van der Beek. Is, was he injured? Is that, he's also I think he seemed to come up. Yes, Van der Beek is also cup tied. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's cup tied, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I know he came off as a sub yesterday, and I think uh, Frank Lampard mentioned that it was just cramps, but that he would have to see. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I think that would be a concern going into the Spurs game because we would really need Danny Van der Beek for that one. But anyway, that aside, yeah, I, 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 again, this is a non-league side. That's the fifth tier of, of English football. I would be very surprised to see, you know, the Alans starting this game, right? I, I think they could all use the rest. I think, uh, yeah. with the, with the, again, especially with having to play again on Monday after that, I, I think I would be very surprised. Dokore, coming back from injury, played a full 90 minutes. Don't expect him to, I, I think, start this one either. Um, Lampard might be thinking, let me roll out uh, sort of, uh, you know, not, not your not your B team, but your B team plus a couple of regular starters out for this one. And if things are just going seriously sideways at halftime, then you know throw some players on. Yeah, I, I think I think in this match you have to see. I mean, Begovic will probably play in goal. I think you have to see Michael Lanko and Patterson on the outsides. Yeah, I think because you got yeah. you got to give Coleman a rest. You can't play him in this game. Um, no, you got to see and, and also like. Wait. We, why? Why? Obviously, there was uh, the timing of the Rafa departure with those additions and all that. But yeah. right now, just to have added those players and not have played them at all is honestly deeply problematic. Yeah. So if yeah. if we right. don't see them in this FA Cup match, I think we can 
maybe safely assume that there's not going to be any first team action for them in the foreseeable future because Lampard simply doesn't rate them. Yeah. I mean, listen, Michael right. Ankle, obviously a little bit of a different issue there. Yeah, I, think, I suppose that's every, fair. Yeah. It's, that's probably in, uh, and just coming to mind. That's that, that may play a role in him not playing, but in terms of Patterson, there's no, absolutely no reason Patterson should not be playing in this match. And there really is an absolutely, right. there's really no, absolutely no reason that um, Jared Branthwaite shouldn't be playing in this match alongside probably Holgate, you probably give Keen a rest um, and then put him alongside Holgate, I guess. Um, I guess Andre Gomes in the middle with, if you're not playing Allen and Decore and you don't have Deli Ali. Tyler Onyango, that's true. We could see him. I would bet you probably see a, you know, like you said, Andros Townsend will probably be, uh, you know, maybe you see Wobi again. Um, And then up top, maybe Rondon. Probably, uh, if, I, uh, I guess. The, Who is Dobbin? The Didn't did they put Dobbin out on loan? Did I hallucinate that? No, yeah, they. they no, Sims went out on loan. Yeah, Sims ah, went out. Ah, I was confused the two. Okay, would would love to see Dobbin out there. That would be an interesting one just to see. Uh, are you out. are you yeah. guys ready for the the two striker setup of Solomon Rondon and Shank To Soon? <laughs> yeah. Are you ready? Oh That's goodness. <laughs> I mean, everybody knows how good uh, Chang Tosun's passing ability is, so he can really play off that strike. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh man. Sorry, sorry to have put that out into the universe, but <laughs> I cannot help myself. Oh, that's horrific. <laughs> yeah. Nah, I mean, honestly, a four-four-two, a four-four-two, or a four-three-three. But I, you know, Dobbins got to start this one. I think Dobbins looked very, very good whenever he's played as a wide forward. So whether it's a 4-4-2 and him playing off Ooh. Rondon's shoulder. Yeah. And I will put this out there. I thought we signed Rondon to win aerial battles. So if he's not winning aerial battles against fifth-tier football teams, we need to shoot him off to the moon right now. All right? So he's got to play, and he better win every damn ball in the air, or else, like, seriously, he cannot just put our blue shirt on ever again. I thought we signed him just because he was friends with Rafa Benitez. Is that, is that not it? Was there not more to it than that? <laughs> No, 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 no. <laughs> no that, Apparently, he fit true. the system. That that was he, he, he was a like-for-like replacement for Dominic Calvert-Lewin when he needed to rest. So that's that's what I hear at least. Um, but that um, <laughs> but yeah, it hasn't worked out at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you do go four-three-three, who's your third midfielder though? You'd have to play one of Allen or Decore, right? Well, I'm thinking Tyler Nyango, Andres Townsend, and Gomes. Oh, in the middle. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Like Townsend is the 10. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And then you yeah. Have, like, All right, I could buy that. A Wobi, and then I guess give Gray a run out to get his full 90. Or get yep. 70. Gray could play some minutes. Again, Iwobi has, has looked good. Yep. Um, again, Dalvin as well. Too. Yeah. He can. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right, that's interesting. A couple different things. But, yeah, I think we all agree that there's no shot we see a full-strength starting lineup. And if we do, that's, a, like, a big problem. I feel like that should not happen. <laughs> Let um, you know where Lampert stands on the current squad depth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I mean, I always ask the question, what do we need to do to win in this match? We don't really know too much about Borum. But, I mean – you got to, I think for all of us, and, and you guys maybe can comment on this too, it, it's got to be nonstop pressure from the beginning. Get that first goal inside the 20 minutes, inside 20 minutes, and yeah, kill the game off. I mean, well, not kill the game off, but, but 
just keep applying the pressure. Just make sure you don't let them get to the 45 yeah. without at least scoring one goal. Well, and I, I think the other thing is yeah, so- um, just you know, it's, it's just no stupid mistakes. That's yeah. that's really it. You've just got to stay locked in for 90. This is not, uh, you know, a, a club of uh, of this quality against what I expect will put out on, on the pitch. They're not going to score a goal unless you give them something, you know, gift wrapped. So just stay mentally locked in for 90 minutes, no stupid mistakes, and you're going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Calvin? So pretty much all these lower league teams, when they play Premier League teams, right, in, in, in either of the cup competitions, there is only one agenda, right? That they, can, they, they will try to outwork us, right? So they will play harder. They will tackle harder. This is, this is their cup final, right? This is their biggest game of the season. Yeah. So expect them to, you know, you know put in 101% for every ch- challenge. And then, you know, usually how do they score? Like Adam, you said, right? They wait for a stupid mistake, right? Or a set piece, right? That's about it, right? So they're going to try to get free kicks. They're going to try to get corners. Um, let's not forget what Everton did last time we played a lower league team when Rafa was still here. We went to Hull and one minute in, we were down one, one nil and it could have probably been three nil after 15 minutes because we were at sixes and sevens. So yeah. that, 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 that's, that's the nonsense we just got to avoid, right? So don't concede stupid free kicks. Don't give up early corners because they're going to come out like guns blazing, right? They're going to give it everything they have for the first 20, 30 minutes. So I don't even care if we don't score in the first half. We just need to keep the game managed. And then, and there's another thing we got to remember, the FA Cup does allow you five subs, right? So if we need to throw some quality on, we've got plenty of quality, right? Let those guys come on in the second half. If we need to bring in a Richarlison, if Gray doesn't start a Gray, then we can do all of that later. But just, we don't need to win this game in the first half an hour. And sure as hell, we don't need to lose it in the first half an hour. Yeah, and certainly set-piece defending has been uh, an Achilles heel for this group um, this season so far. Um, so I, I do – that's a good shout, Calvin. That is something that, that does worry me a little bit because you're right. You know, uh, Certainly uh, they're going to look to try to find those opportunities on a rare corner, on a set-piece, yeah. even if it's from you know, 40, 50 yards out. They're just going to tr- look to launch a ball in the box and Lump the ball in. See, right. see if somebody makes a, you know, makes a misread and you, you get a tap in or something like that. Yeah, I mean that's really you, what you got to worry about is 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 those set pieces. But I mean, again, if if I mean we're at home against the non-league side, one thing to note is that actually Bournemouth are the tenth team in FA Cup history to play in each of the first four rounds of the FA Cup and win each match with a clean sheet, and the first non-league side to do yep. that. So a uh, fun Gross. little thing for them. Um, so they have yet to concede a cup goal. So that's impressive. Yeah, so, so <laughs> I mean, listen, they will be working hard. They will, you know, this isn't mm-hmm. a team that's, you know, they, 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 they're organized back there. I mean, they, they beat Bern- yeah. uh, Bournemouth, who, I mean, listen, I know Bournemouth is down in the championship now, but uh, what was it, last year or two years ago that they were a Premier League side? It's not too far off where they were a Premier yeah. League. So, yeah. um, you know, I think you just got to, you know, you, you can't go into this match you got to go into this match saying, you know, we're better than them, but we have to show that we're better than them. And you go and you get your goals and you get out of there. So, um, 
What in terms of predictions, Adam? We'll start with you. What do you think in this match ends? Uh, hmm. Let's let's go two nil. Um, you know their defensive record, yes, impressive. I think that we'll also you know not see most of our better attacking players. So I'm not expecting yeah. this to you know turn into a bloodbath or anything. But at the end of the day, yeah. what we've seen in the last you know for the most part in the last couple of weeks, I'm confident that that Lampard will have them out in the right mindset and it can be relatively comfortable. Uh, so let's go 2-0. Uh, Calvin, how about you? Yeah, yeah so, uh, you know, I, I was looking back and I watched the highlights of the game against Burnworth, right? And Burnworth actually had 82% of the possession in that game. They had 18 <laughs> shots, nine of which were on target, right? And they still failed to score. So I, I think it's just a matter of time that uh, Boromwood are going to concede a goal. I'm not... I'm, I'm going to give them all the credit for, for being good defense and everything, but they haven't played, I think, Premier League quality yet. Not that Everton have shown Premier League quality yeah. too often this season, right? But I, I, I'd expect similar stats. I, I really expect we'll have about 70-80% of the possession, and at some point we will break them down. Um, I'm going to go 3-1, and, and the one goal I'm giving, I'm, I'm giving Borum is I, it's, it's going to be a penalty, and they're going to give it to Kane Smith, the boyhood Evertonian, to come in and score at Goodison Park. And you know what? As and long it, as we are scoring the three before that happens, I, I'm okay with that. And, you know? and, and, and I'll enjoy and, and that Asmir, moment. Asmir Begovic is just going to let him score. It's, 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 yeah. 3-0. Sure. It's going to be in the 97th minute, you know. Um, you know, uh, you got to remember, you got to remember Tony Hibbert, right? The one goal he scored was in his testimonial and it was a free kick, which uh, <laughs> was a dodgy goal. But <laughs> so, yeah, let's, let's give Kane Smith that one and let's hope that that's all he's managing to do against us. But yeah, I'll go with 3-1 and a feel-good story for everyone there. I'm going to go super bold prediction here. We're going to go super Uh-oh. bold, 3 nothing. I'm going to say Jared Branthwaite gets a goal on a Paul Clement set piece special. And right. Rondon gets two. <laughs> if, if Rondon scores twice, I will come back next week and do an entire episode with a sock in my mouth. <laughs> I do Big I, words, I, you know, Adam. Oh, I, my. I do think we we see. I think we we get three goals. Whether we keep a clean sheet or not, I guess that's remained to be seen. I, I mean, if like you said, if Rondon gets two goals, that'll be unbelievable. Oh man, that's a big bold wager. The, the, only, the only thing worse. It's a good thing I'm I'm not a regular around these parts anymore. Otherwise, somebody might actually keep me to that. <laughs> The only thing you never know, worse, man. The only thing that would be more bold would be me predicting Chank to do that, which, I mean, he's had seven years to score two goals, and I don't think he scored two goals in an every <laughs> So, But, all right, uh, anything else you guys want to add? Anything else you guys want to touch on before we wrap this up? You guys all good? All right. Uh, Adam, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure having you back on. We, we thank you for having me, lads. Yes, it's been fun. Calvin, as always, thank you for, for coming on and talking. Yeah. Um, and to you guys Thanks. out there. Yeah, to you guys out there, thank you for following, listening, subscribing, downloading. Uh, we ask, keep doing that. Keep supporting. Leave reviews if you want. If you liked the 
laughs that we had on today's show about Chris Kavanaugh and Solomon Rondon. Yeah, the laughs. That's what it was. We were laughing. Um, But yes, thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you guys next week.